just our verse-by-verse study of the book of 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there are Bibles in front of you here in the sanctuary with page number uh, on the screen so you can get there rapidly. You can use an electronic device if that is kind of how it works best for you, just following along an app and that. But one way or another, we want you to be in the Word of God with us. For you who are joining us in the overflow and online, please hear that as an invitation to you as well that you would have the Word of God, that you'd open it up, that you'd follow, and that God would speak to you this morning through the authority and power of His Word, believing in that longing for it, that it is His. Uh, Let's humble ourselves again in prayer. I'm going to lead in prayer, but would you pray as well? Let's ask that God would speak to us this morning through His Word. God, here we are, just an opportunity to be able to come before you and seek you, and asking right now that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, that that which you are speaking, I I recognize you're a faithful God, that you're a God who does that, Holy Spirit, that you're the one who teaches. May we be the one, those who hear. May you take your truth and open it to us so that there's not a lack of understanding, but there is understanding of what you're saying, but then press it in deeper in the very thing that we needed to hear out of this passage this morning, that is unique for each one of us. God, would you help us to hear it? And would you cause it to work effectively in us for your honor, for your glory, Lord? We're asking for that right now from you and trusting this into your care. We do that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God's love is better than life. Yeah, that's exactly what David says in Psalm 63 as he unpacks. He says, your loving kindness is better than life. That to think about knowing God's love, it just is incredible. Now, it's even more if you think about the background with which he shares it. He's in a difficult space, just running in the land of Judah. And so he begins it just with the, in verse 1 of Psalm 63 saying, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. If you can hear and almost feel what David's saying, just this longing for God and a recognition that he lives in a space where there's just emptiness everywhere else, and it's so true in our world, so true in the spaces that we live that you can sit there and say this world doesn't satisfy. It is this dry and thirsty land where there's no water and yet just this longing for God. And so David's been able to say, that's what I've been looking for. That's what I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see you in your power and your glory. May that happen here. May that be even what we're gathering here, that it would be in this gathering, that it would be God's power and glory. That said, if we were to be very clear, the sanctuary for us isn't this building. The sanctuary is Christ, that he's drawn us into him, that, that he's the one that is our place of being able to connect with God, and yet it's there in Christ where we'd be able to honor that and able to say with David, because your loving kindness is better than life my lips shall praise you. I want to invite you to that this morning, just that that would be a reality where you are. I like the way the New Living Translation renders this verse. It simply says, your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. It says, you're just this love, this loving kind. It it is so much better than, than anything else, and it should draw us both to know that and to praise him. I hold that before you because it's so much bigger than anything that any of us yet know. When Paul would talk about it in Ephesians, he tells it to us. He says, in his prayer for his, the people, and us as well, he says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. So I hold it out to you this morning that we want to talk about the love of Christ. We want to talk about the love of God. And yet there's not anybody here in this room that's going, oh, I, I already understand that. Can we go into something else? I mean, I already kind of got that one figured out. No, you have not. It, it's beyond us. It's wider. It's deeper. It's more expansive. It's more wonderful. And it's exactly what we need, this place where God would draw you and I into knowing and to knowing hit the love of God so much more. Well, that's exactly where we are. We're in a section here in 1 John that is dealing with that. In fact, it's been a theme throughout the book of 1 John, and it will continue to be. But today, very specifically, we're picking up right where we left off last week. And that's always a challenge, because in many ways, we almost need to re-say everything we said last week. We can't do that, 
but we will read it. So why don't you back up, you got your Bibles there in 1 John 4, go back to the beginning of the section that we started last week, and it begins this way in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this is the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So last week we dove into this and we highlighted these incredible realities that it tells us there in verse 7 that love, that what real genuine love is, it is of God, it is from God, that He is the only source and He is the source of love. But not only is He the source of it, it went on in verse 8 and told us it is actually who He is. Love is not just something that God does, it's His very nature. He says, love is God. You know, he starts, God is love. See, I said it backwards, and it's not actually true that way. So hear it better. God is love, that He is actually that, that He is gloriously and wonderfully everything that that is, and draws you and I into that incredible way of seeing it. And if we see that, then it really just landed for us very practically and said that should define every believer. Because everyone who is of God has the love of God inside them. And so he challenged us in verse 8 to say, hey, do that, do that. In fact, that's still going to be the challenge. It's where the whole section right here is going to end this morning as we think about that, this call to do that. But therein lies a little bit of the challenge. See, I don't know if that lands with you very, very quickly. I'm not sure how much that just pulls up for you. Uh, For some who were here last week, I don't know where it did for you but I just want to bring it in where it is for me. You know, I ended last week honestly just feeling like, I want to say that so much better. It's so big. I mean, how do you talk about the love of God? How do you talk about, you know, that which is incomprehensible? How do you talk about this thing that's height nor depth nor width has ever been there? I mean, how do you kind of put that before people? And I, I just, just think ah, it's so amazing and so glorious to try to talk about, it, and yet it's hard to wrap your mind around. But that if you have any small sense of that, then you get to dive into our section very clearly where he says, okay, I want to help you to see it. I want to help you to understand it. Because notice what he says there at the beginning in verse 9. He says, in this, the love of God was manifested. In this, this is how it's going to happen. Here's how you can see it. That's what manifest means, to take something that was invisible or difficult to understand to make it visible. In fact, he'll say it twice. He'll say it again in verse 10. In this is love. So he's going to tell us how we can see it. He's going to tell us how we can comprehend it, that we'd be able to say, okay, I want to see that God is love, and I want to wrap my mind around that. I want to know more of what this is. How do I get there? How do I, how do I understand that? How do I even get close to that? So the first thing he gives us in that is there in verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. So the place where He says we can see this, the place where you and I are able to comprehend or gaze more and see the full expression and know the love of God is to say, I want you to see it. I want you to see that God sent His Son. Now, there is so much here. Let me just unpack a few of the details, and then we'll come back and just kind of look at it as a whole. I like the way it begins. So it tells us this again in verse 9, in this the love of God was manifested toward us. And it's worth just hearing that toward us for a moment. That when we think about God's love, it's a love that is a pursuing love. It's a love that is moving to us that it's a love that is pursuing us, which is incredibly amazing in ways that I wish I could just help you to grab with us because it's so uh, unworthy in so many ways that God would look at us who are estranged in in sin and look at us who are enemies and, and he begins moving towards us. 
He begins moving toward us to, to show us the love of God. He begins to be the one who presses into this space to draw us to, to what he has. And it's a love that has caused him to do that. Beyond that, it's a love that isn't just pressing, it's a love that's giving. It's a love that gave his only begotten son. But it's worth, again, just noting that it's a giving love. So again, just seeing it in the text. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten son. You know, I think about it. such a familiar uh, thing. I think about that just most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I want to just highlight for you again that it's describing for us the same thing, the love of God. He says, here's, how, here's the heart of God. Our God so loved, our God so loved this world that is broken and rebellious and, and, and loved a, did us in that sense that it caused him. That, because of the love that he has, because of the love that is him, he gave that he moved into this in a place that it moved him to give. It moved into him to say, okay, I want to do something. And, and out of who he is, he does that. It's a love that gives. It's a love that is, that, that is the greatest gift that could ever be imagined. In fact, it is that which we need to think about because in this giving, it's sacrificial. He gives his only begotten son. Now, Pretty fascinating section, but highlighting things that probably many of us understand, but worth just quickly making sure we get it. When he says his only begotten son, it's a term in the Greek language that puts it as the idea of unique, one of a kind, one and only. That when we think about Christ and we think about who he is, it's his only begotten son. There's not anything else like it. Unlike the cults that would kind of make, you know, Lucifer a half-brother of Jesus or something like that. This is, it's like, no, this is only. There's, there's not any other. He is the only one. In fact, in the idea of begotten, not only highlights that his uniqueness, but connects him into the very nature of God, letting us know that God, in giving his son, is giving himself, that, that it was the only begotten, or the one that was connected, the one that is Christ. And we think about the reality of, of what the Bible lets us know, that Jesus is God, that we think about the wonder of the Trinity, the beauty of that beyond our understanding, but embracing in this, what I want you to grab is how big that is. I mean, how incredibly big that is. We go back to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's not a bigger gift. There's nothing else that could be like anything beyond this. There's not anything else in all of eternity or all of creation that could equate to what this is. Anything else would be lesser. This is the, the highest of, of possible things that ever could be done that God gave Christ, that he gave Jesus, his only begotten son, it expresses for us, you know, this incredible weight and this incredible wonder of love. In fact, Jesus, when he was talking about it, in John, tells us greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Speaking of both just that call to us, but what he was doing for us, but it's again just worth hearing. He says there's not anything bigger than this. There's not like, okay, that's pretty good, but there's a little bit better than that. He says there's nothing. There's no greater love than this. There's no greater expression than this. There's no greater weight of the wonder of love than understanding that God gave his son to, to sacrifice for us in a way that not only is giving his son, not only giving who he is, but what it accomplishes in us. So you see it in our text again. In this, the love of God was manifested or made seen toward us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. So it's an enlivening love. It's a love that brings life into us. It's a love that causes us to live who were not alive outside of this. Again, I just go back since we're kind of looking at the comparison there in John three sixteen, because that's exactly what's unpacking for us there that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, because giving a son, whoever believes in him 
wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. That we who were perishing, we who were dead in that sense, now have life. Now have life. Ephesians would say it in a similar way. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. So he says, here's the thing, God's incredible love for us is seen here. The love that God is, but the, the incredible weight of, of his love which he loved us, we were dead. Outside of Christ, sin has us dead, but now he makes us alive. Now he makes us alive together with Christ, that because of what Jesus did, it now brings life to us. It now brings incredible weight, wonder, and transformation. That's what God did. And this is where God would unpack this for us. Now, that's a bit. That's a lot of things. In fact, we could dive deeper into each one of those, and again, worth doing, walking around just seeing it. But I want to just pull back for a moment and just reason with you. So he's inviting you. He's saying, I want you to see how much I love you. I want you to see the love of God. I want you to see what this is. And there's incredible details in it, but in the midst of it, I just want to draw you to this understanding that he's telling us that the greatest place for you and I to see the love of God is in the cross of Christ. It is to see God sending his son to die on the cross for our sins to bring us life. Now, this is helpful. Not only is it helpful, it's effective. And I can tell you right now that Christians for the last 2,000 years have found this to be the incredible reality. It's a reality that I'm inviting you into, that in a place where if you're kind of like, I, I, I really do want to understand the love of God. I do, I do want to see this. He's telling us, here's where you'll see it. Here's where you'll see it. Look here. Find yourself gazing at the cross. Find yourself pressing in to, to look at God sending His Son because if you can see it here, not only does it you know, give you a, a radical understanding of it, it'll flow into every other part of your life, and it's so. Then I tell you that throughout the Scriptures, God calls us to be those who are fixing our gaze on Him, the author and finisher of our faith, that He's telling us, hey, this is how you can do this, and it puts it right there in the realm of possibility. It puts it in a place where God is telling us, if you would look here, if you would look here, then you'll get it. I mean, not only you get it, but you'll see how massive this is. You'll see how incredibly good this is. You know, I think about that verse that we've been just diving into there in John 3.16, where it tells us here, this is what it is. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So again, you guys know that. That's John 3.16, right? Some of you remember, because we did it back in 1 John. But it's interesting to think about the correlation in the book of 1 John, because 1 John 3.16 says it this way, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. It says the way that you and I can know love is by understanding this, the way that we can wrap our minds around this, the way that we can get into this is by making sure that we see it in this, that we find ourselves understanding what this is. In fact, Romans would tell it to us this way. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the demonstration. Here's what makes it visible. That's the idea of a demonstration. God shows us how big his love is. God shows us how incredible this is that we who were aliens, we who were sinners, we were who died, Christ died for us. Christ is that for us. In fact, I like how he goes on to pack it, unpack it in Romans 8. He says, if you could see this, if you understand what we're talking about, he who did not spare his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If God gave us his son, if God looked on us and said, you know, his love for us and would give us his son, you know, to, to pay the price for us when we we're at, at odds, when we were just enemies of him, if, if, if he would do that, then everything else falls under that. I mean, everything, and if he gives us that, there's no, nothing that in that sense he withholds. Now, that's powerful, but it's powerful when we think about the confusion that life actually is at times, and understand this, and that's exactly what Romans 8 goes on to say. So he says, well, what's going to separate us? 
What would separate you from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So what if life gets hard? And it does get hard sometimes for lots of reasons. So what if, that, what if there's spaces that God is at work and doing things in our world and you go through tribulation or distress? Does that somehow separate us from, from what we have? Does that somehow you know, negate the, the wonder of the love of God that's at work in our lives? He says, no. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That, that we are more than conquerors in all of the things that we go through. In fact, he goes on to say in those well-known verses at the end of Romans 8, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any other, nor height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. I just want to tell you, this is massive. He says, if we could see this, if we could understand what is ours in Christ, what could get in the way of that? I mean, why, what, is there any other space that would make that it neg- negated or move away? And they're like, no way. We have the love of God in Christ. We have, and and if it, he's working through it. Everything conquers, but we have this. See, I want to tell you this because I want to tell you that's where you can find the love of God and find it firmly planted in your life. Our problem is at times we hear that God loves us and then we want to invest that understanding into our small framework. And so we, you know, we, we look at the events that we're going through or we look at some of the struggles that are happening in our world. And, and here's how it happens. Sometimes when life isn't necessarily going great, when, when maybe there is trial or trouble or persecution or, or, or some part in our life, we begin to somehow think that that defines uh, the weight of, our, of, of the place of our life, and we would say, I mean, you, you know this, you've probably felt it. You know, someplace like, God, do you love me? I mean, look at what's happening. I mean, look at, look at, look at what's happening in our world right now, look at what's happening in my life, and all of a sudden we begin to question, uh, you know, whether God really knows us, cares about us, loves us. And what God is telling us is saying, don't invest your emotions into that space because God is at work in all of that. You are more than conquerors and all those things. Everything he's going to work together for good. He tells us in a few verses before this in Romans 8, 28, that all of it is working in. You can be confident in that, but that's not the place of the weight. That's not where you're supposed to be looking and trying to gaze at the understanding of the love of God. He says, look at Christ. Look at him. Look at the one who, who God gave us his son, and he would freely give us all things. And so he says, here's the thing. That's ours. That is solidly ours. I just want to give this to you in a way that is incredibly practical. It, it's deeply theological. It's deeply wonderful. And yet the danger is that for somebody, they, they're like, well, that's church talk. Like that's, you know, that's what pastors talk about, or that's what professors talk about. And yeah, well, it is but it's what he's telling you. He says, I want you to see this. I want you to see my love. I want you to see what this is. And so he's telling you, gaze at Christ. Gaze at the cross. Gaze at the love that God had in sending his son. Find yourself not just, you know, in a Sunday school way thinking, well, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, that, that's, you know, Jesus died on the cross. That's, that's fine. But again, I like the way Hebrews tells it to us, a verse I quoted just a moment ago, that he calls us to run the race that's in front of us, to to live the life that you and I are living with our eyes fixed on him, who is the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He says, I want you to fix your eyes there. I want you to fix your eyes on him. I I want you to make him just be that focus. I want him to be the one that that would be in the midst of all that that is. I want you to find yourself gazing at at all that this is. And he tells us, this is where you'll see it. Uh, This is where it is. And I just, how do I say that better? How do I give you any other greater pointer than that? But I'm just telling you, for some of you, you've understood this. You're like, yeah, you know, that's that's transformative. When I can see that, When when I see that, it, it washes over, and I, and I understand, if you give me Christ, then what am I stressed about? I mean, he's, he's given me everything else. And I can, again, just tell you of the songs, the hymns, the, the weight of it uh, that has been found in this, and it's just 
very, very real. And, and I want to tell you it's true, but again, I'm wanting to speak to someone who's here this morning, who you hear that God loves you, and yet in the back of your mind, if you're all together honest, it's almost as if you hear it as a question mark. Does God love me? I mean, does He really? And, and again, for someone, it's happening because of what's happening in our world or what's happening in, in our lives, and you've invested your understanding as the measure of that, and God is just telling you, look this direction. Boy, you want to see what this is. You want to see the love of God, then you need to see Jesus. You need to see the cross. You need to see what God did, that, that here's how you can understand that, that this is where this is, this invitation that would gather you and I into this place of being able to see and comprehend the love of God for us. It's with that that he adds it in another thought, still talking about the same thing, but from a little bit different direction. So again, I just want to start reading in verse 9 for the context. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So as he's helping us understand it, not only is he telling us to look at the cross, not only to look at God sending his son, he tells us very specifically that as we're gazing at that, to understand that God loved us first. He says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, not that we loved God, that if we could think about it this way and just kind of scooting that up on the screen so we have a little bit of space and then adding it to it, I've already given you four things for anybody that's going to keep track of those. I'm going to give you three more things that are under this, but again, if you lose that, I, I just want you to see the big picture. But just adding to it, we see here that this is a humbling love. It's a, it's a place that we would look at it and understand that the weight of Scripture is really, really clear that God's love for us isn't responding to our love for Him. It, it doesn't begin with us. It didn't begin with us pursuing Him. It begins with Him pursuing us. Again, we, we, I think about it this way when God would speak to the children of Israel about the same reality. In Deuteronomy 7, He says, The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all the peoples. But it's because the Lord loves you. It's a reasoning that God reasoned with the children of Israel, and he's reasoning with us the same way. God didn't love you. He didn't set his love on you because you were more lovable than somebody else. He didn't, you know, set his love on us because we loved him first. No, there's a way of coming at it and understanding, no, it's, all, it's never been that way. No one ever does that. In fact, Romans, when it unpacks it for us, says there is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. There's none who are actually making that pursuit. Now, this is incredibly wonderful and yet so needed to hear. The funny thing is that sometimes for someone who's a new believer in Christ, this is easier. That for someone who just begins to understand who Jesus is and, 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 you, and you come to the weight of being saved, you know how this works, right? To, to become a follower of Jesus, you come to an end of yourself. You recognize, I can't fix myself. I can't save myself. I, I can't earn my salvation. You come to understand that the only way to be saved is that God sent his son for you, that you didn't deserve it. And it's a really fun reality. But here's the thing. It's a weird space. Not all Christians happen this way. But for many that grow on in Christ, we begin to lose sight of that. Where Paul would talk about it in the book of Galatians, he said, did you, you, you began in the Spirit, and now you're trying to be made perfect in the flesh? Like, he's the one that started it, but now you think you get to finish it? You know, now you think it relies on you, and now you're putting the weight on who you are? Where Jesus tells us very clearly, without me, you can do nothing? Now, one of the things about the love of God is to come to this place of recognizing it doesn't begin with us. It doesn't flow from us. It flows from him maybe saying it differently, his love initiates it. His love causes that. It's not that we loved God, he tells us, but that God loved us. Again, that's what it says, so you just see it in the text there in verse 10, and this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. It's not that we loved him. 
It is that he loved us and sent his son, that he would do this. That same verse we saw a moment ago in Romans where it says God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, while we were at odds with him, while we were those who had no business in that sense, you know, being the recipients of this, he loved us. He loved us in our rebellion. He loved us in our brokenness. He loved us and sent his son there, that his love does that. Now, that's massive all by itself, but almost as if to make sure that we don't stop sight of how, how big that is, he takes us back to the cross. He takes us back to what God did, but he highlights it by letting us know that the love that God has for us is a propitiating love. Yeah, that's what it says in the text. You saw it, but see it again. It's just helpful to hear the words and understand the weight of it. Verse 10, in this is love, not that we love God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is a big word, propitiation. It's a good biblical word. Maybe you understand what it is, but let's also just own it. Like, it's not a normal word, right? I don't think anybody used it in your, you know, like, yeah, you know, we were just, I needed to propitiate that. You know, I just needed to, to make that happen. And so because of it, we can lose sight of it. What is to propitiate? It means to appease wrath and gain the goodwill of God. And it could be used in a Greek culture of not just the God, but God's. And so they would look at it as a way of recognizing, hey, I'm in trouble, and what are we going to do to fix that so that I'm not in trouble, and, and yet could be favor? I mean, and it could, it could work in the world. I mean, you could think about it this way. You could have, you know, some, you know, high school students, you know, kind of do that senior ditch day or something like that, which we're not encouraging. Um, you know, but in the midst of it, you know, you can, it's like, how do we propitiate this? How do we, you know, get out of being in trouble and get into good favor? That would be a, a context of it in the sense of our world, but so much more when we recognize the one that we've offended is God. The one that his wrath is there is that, and yet that's exactly what God does. Which, by the way, very, very helpful, especially if you were with us last week. We were talking about trying to get near understanding the love of God, and we talked a little bit about the, the different locations, almost like looking at like a map. And we said, you know, we're in different spaces. And I talked a little bit about that for some who are trying to understand the love of God, it's partly, you know, kind of wrapping their minds around God's holiness, wrapping God, their minds around God's sovereignty that makes it confusing. Some find it more comfortable uh, to consider God in his holiness. Others find themselves overthinking about the love of God and almost wrestle with, you know, well, God sending people to hell and him being just. And yet right here, it's just powerfully laid out before us where you get to see both. Yes, God is just. Yes, he is holy. Yes, his wrath is against sin in our world, but that's exactly why his love sent his son so that he could, you know, perfectly uphold his holiness, and yet powerfully provide uh, the way for us to be saved. And it's a powerful way where we, we, we can wrap our minds around it and say, He is both. He is a holy, righteous God, but He has propitiated our sin. He sent His Son to be the one that would rescue us from that. He sent His Son to be the one that would accomplish this for us, that that's exactly what He has done. Okay, big, big thanks, big, big weight in, in the midst of it, but let's again kind of pull this to simplicity so that we can try to put this in there. So he's saying, okay, if you want to understand the love of God, look to the cross. And if you want to understand the love of God, then you need to understand that our love is always responsive to the love of God. It always begins with Him. Now, as I'm unpacking that for you, I do want to tell you, that's got incredible theological weight. It is theologically, or the understanding of rightly understanding who God is, it is a gloriously true thing. Now, let me just quickly pause, because somebody's going to take me saying something that I'm not saying, or not trying to say, so let me quickly go down a rabbit trail, and then I'm going to run back. And so if I lose anybody, hang on, we'll be right back. So one of the things that people wrestle through in our world is understanding, you know, is this the sovereignty of God or the responsibility of man that, that brings us into salvation, what's sometimes called Calvinism or Arminianism, and you might be wondering, so Jim, which one are you? Well, I just want to say neither. Uh, I'm not a Calvinist nor Arminianist. I'm a Biblicist. What does that mean? It means I believe both. I, I believe both. I believe that God is sovereign because he says so. I also believe that man is responsible because he says so. I will highlight to you that if you really look at those, they are in a very natural way irreconcilable. There's no way to, figure, to, to be able to align those together. But I'll just tell you this, I will take God's clear word over my ability to understand it any day. 
I will take what God says over my ability to put them together any day, and I just want to tell you, you can do the same. And, and so understanding this, again, that flows into some of this background, but that said, I leave it there. Now, some of you are going to get stuck there, and I'm sorry, but if I didn't do that, some of you are going to think I was going there, but now we're coming back out the rabbit trail, and we want to come back to it and understand, okay, either way, it begins with God. That what he's telling us is that if you're going to understand God's love, you need to understand it didn't begin with us. It didn't begin with us seeking God. It didn't begin with us loving Him. It began with Him loving us. So that our love is always in response. And this, again, though theologically wonderfully true, is even more effective and powerful if you'll grab it practically. If you'll be able to understand that what we need is to recognize the love that God is seeking to have inside of us isn't meant to be created by you. It isn't meant to be something that you're doing. It's meant to be that which you're responding to, that our love is always flowing out of His love. In fact, he's going to say it in just a few more verses, but I'm going to go ahead and put it on the screen, even though it's just a few verses if you want to look at it ahead. He'll say it in 1 John 4, 19, which we're in up to verse 11 this morning, so just a little ahead. He'll say, we love him because he first loved us. Now, one of the reasons I want to put this on the screen is because that's how it reads it in the New King James Version, but there is a problem. It's not really the, always the way it's found in all of the text, and some of you have a different version, and it says it differently, or some of you have little notes there. Without getting too technical, we'll talk about it more then. I just want to tell you, the word him is not found in most of the Greek manuscripts that uh, we can find reliable. So in one sense, it's actually bigger than that. Instead of just saying, we love him, it's ability to say, we love because he first loved us. What kind of love are we talking about? We're talking about loving God or loving people. And if I can just simply say, yes, we love. We love God. We love people. That's the greatest commandment in the second commandment. The only way we can have either one is because he's first loving us. That our love that we are meant to have, and you're meant to have, that the essence of the life he has for you is to love him and, and to love people, but you are never be able to create that in your own. It is always responsive. We talked a little bit about this last week when I shared one of my favorite verses that I just use in my own quiet time, in my own kind of seeking Lord on a daily basis, where uh, they would just say, hey, cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. Or he says, I just need, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of wanting to enter into a day of, of knowing you. God, help me to get it. Help me to understand your love so that as I live this day, it can be in response. I, I need to see it. I need to, to comprehend. I need to, 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 to get it so that, so that my love can now flow out of both just the, the, the wonder of your love and the weight of it, which again is going to be found most often within the cross, but it's this incredibly powerful thing where he's telling us, here's where it is. Now, in a very, very practical way, I'm just wanting to tell you, hey, this is powerful. Uh, again, for some of you, you get this, you're already kind of walking in this, but again, I'm, I'm talking to that person who you really are wrestling. I mean, you'd like to. You would like to believe that God loves you, but you're struggling. You're struggling. And so he said, you want to see it. You want to see God's love. Then you need to see it in the cross. You need to see it in that God sending his son, and you need to see it in that his love comes first, that his love initiated it. His love initiated not just that he loved you, but enough to propitiate your sins. His love, you know, flowing in this wasn't you, it was him. And if you can wrap your mind a little bit around that, it's, it's amazing because you began to get this, wow, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, here's how we can see this, and, and not just, again, in some technical way, but it becomes wonderfully practical that this can be and should be a part of your life consistently where you're like, okay, God, I want to see it. I need to know you love me. And I need to, okay, I'm going to look at the cross. And I'm going to look into this and recognize it's not about me loving you. It's about you loving us. And, and my life begins to flow in this beautiful response that's an overwhelming, glorious picture of the way that God is at work in our lives. That's big. I mean, it's just so big. I mean, it's just so wonderful that he would give us exactly how to get there and exactly what that looks like, but it's not meant to end there. Let's go back to it. So he's just told us this. Uh, again, I just want to read it starting in, the, in verse 9 where we started this morning. It says, In this... 
the love of God was manifested toward us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now He takes it to practical. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. His challenge is, is that if you can see this, it doesn't meant just to be the place where you receive God's love for you. It's meant to be a place that it inspires us to love one another. And we think about what this looks like. We think about what it is. He's saying, hey, we should love others. We should love other people the way that God loves us. What's that like? Well, what's that like? Well, again, there is this sense that we get this example that's given to us in Christ. We get this beautiful place where he says, okay, if you can see the way this works for you, do the same. Now, again, I just wanted to highlight a couple of verses that say that, although I could give you dozens, um, I think about one of the ones we already saw there in 1 John three sixteen. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If we can see what he did for us, it should inspire us to love others in a similar fashion, that who he is should flow outside of us. Jesus would say it this way. It says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, this is really, really powerful, but incredibly practical. It says, if you can see how I love you, go and love others. If you can see my love, then take that same love and, and, and not only receive it, but let it flow through you. In fact, I like the way it says it in Ephesians. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as God also has loved us and given, us, given himself for us. It says, You're to imitate God. That if you can see God's love, go love like he loves. Go, go love that way so that we would walk in love. I like the way the New Living Translation says it. He says, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. So that this would be who you are, that you would see Christ and, and be able to do that. So let's just talk practically for a quick moment. What does that look like? I mean, what does that look like? Well, if we really get it, God loved us. And we didn't deserve it, right? Wasn't anything good about us. Wasn't anything worthy of that. And he genuinely loved us. God's calling us to love in the same way. And yet the challenge is that for many people in our world, that's not it. Most people are willing to love those who love them. Like, you do something nice for me, and I will do something nice for you. Like, you, you know, do, do for me, I will do for you. And so sometimes as Christians, we can fall into the same practice where we'll be like, well, I would be glad to love them if they just get a little bit more lovable. You know, I'll be glad to love people once they are a little less offensive to me. I will be glad to love them once they do something that is worthy of me loving. But that's not how he loved you. There wasn't anything in you. There wasn't anything good in you. There wasn't any place that you did something to create that place where he would do for you. So there is this call that says, okay, that's a lie. That's a, that's a, that's a humanistic lie. That's not it at all. So if I, as God puts people in my life and I find myself, you know, kind of, thinking, well, you know, they don't really deserve it. You know, I'm not really going to be loving or kind. I'm not going to. And he's like, oh, wait a second. That's how he loved. And, and he did it first. I mean, he, 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 you know, he's the, his love pressed toward me when I didn't deserve it. So that's how I'm supposed to be. That's how I'm supposed to be. That I'm meant to have this example that I'm supposed to look at what Christ is and do that. Now, that is really powerful and very practical in some of your lives right now. But let's not lose this thought. As he's telling us this, not only is Christ the example, he is the only source of it. Now, we've already said this in different ways, but we need to say it again, because the only way that you can have this is to get this from him, and he knows that. That's why he's telling us, hey, we love because he first loved us. The only way you can have this, the only way you can walk in this is that he, you first get it from him, that you first obtain this from him. 
In fact, think about it this way, maybe a, a different example of it, but we'll say it in a different way. When Paul would say it in Galatians, he talks about the, the lust of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, the things that we could work in our own works, and he tells us not to live that way. Instead, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Incredibly good news that he's telling us, hey, this is what's available to you in God. This is what's available to you by, by trusting in Him, by walking in Him, by abiding in Christ, by walking in the Spirit. But it's worth, again, just pointing out what some have well known. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are. It's not the idea that this is plural. It's not like there are nine fruits of the Spirit that sometimes people would say, there's just one. It's love. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. And the way it kind of puts it in the Greek text is that's the, the, the preeminent thing. And everything else is what love looks like. Love that produces joy. Love that produces peace. Love that gives us long-suffering. Love that makes us kind. Love that helps us to do what's right. Love that is faithful and gentle and self-control. But it's love. Now, this is really, really good news because now you can do it. He says, okay, I want you to go out there. And I want you to love people the way that I've loved you. Now, if you go out there and do it in your own strength, you're never going to be able to do it. But he never asked you to do it. He says, I'll give you it to you. I'll give you my love. I'll pour my love inside of you so that as you seek to be an example of this in the world, it would be his love flowing out of you, which is incredibly helpful and so wonderful. So let's think it through just again in a very simple way. So we have these three things that are being held out to us. Let's work our way back through them and, and think about what this looks like. So the challenge is that you and I should be loving. That is supposed to mark us. Now we've talked about this a bunch, right? Uh, we, we think about what Jesus said, the verse that I just gave you a moment ago where Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. It says, this is the commandment. This is this, this plan that I have for you that's now true in Christ. It was never true before. Now it is. I want you to go out and be a loving people. In fact, Jesus says, by this all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. It says, this is how you're going to be known. This is what makes a Christian obvious in our world. This is the thing that should define who we are in the world, so it makes perfect sense that he's telling us, hey, go out and do it. You should be a loving people. Beloved, let us love one another. Let us walk in that. Okay, how do we do that? Well, we work back up for it. We, we understand, hey, God loved us first. And so it draws us into that place where we say, okay, God, I need to see who you are, but I also need to know that, that there's no way I'm going to be able to do that unless I'm pressing into this relationship with you that I'm you know, seeking that to flow out of me. There's no way that I'm going to get there outside of that. And that's true. Which then would draw us to the first part. That God sent Jesus for us. That some ways, the, the only way we can get to being the people that we are in this world is by being a people who are focused on this. Of seeing the love of God that's in Christ. Seeing the love of God that flows in him. The love of God that, that is the love that put Jesus on the cross for us to rescue us. And he says, hey, that will both make this visible for you. And then if I can say it this way, it would make you visible in the world. The love that would make God's love visible to you is the love that now the world would know that you're his by the love you have for one another. That's what I'm inviting you to this morning. That's where I want to invite you. So this morning, we're going to close taking communion. So you can, at this moment, kind of put away your Bibles and things that are there. It's really the, the second Sunday of the month. It's that place where we often seek to take communion. And, and so it just times out well, but it's a perfect way for us to end. That today we want to take communion, which is remembering the very things we've been talking about, that God so loved the world that he gave us his son. And he's going to, we're going to take that in a sense in a way that we both want to see it and walk in that. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Can I just tell you right now, this is not actually for you. This is given for Christians, given for Christians to remember what Jesus is for us. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, it would be right that you would both be honest with that. And so in just a moment, we take communion. If that's you, just don't take communion. Nobody's going to highlight that. Nobody's going to, you know, make you feel odd for that. In fact, we're so glad you're here. But this isn't for you. And there would be a good space that you would even recognize that. Or, communion is actually one of the ways we preach the gospel. 
that we tell people, hey, this is who we are. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And so it may be today that God has drawn you to this place that this is what you need to do. If that's you this morning, we're going to invite you to take communion in a way that you would surrender to Christ and, and that you would seek for him to be your salvation. That said, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. Even if you're visiting with us this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. This is a good space for us to take communion. We invite you to do that with us, but to do so in the very things that we've been talking about this morning. That you wouldn't just go through the motions, but you would look upon the love of God. You would look upon the love of God that loved us first, that propitiated our sins, that sent his son to die on the cross for us, and you would both receive that, see that, and again, let it wash over you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to ask God to cleanse us and wash us and kind of just lead us into this moment where we're going to take communion. The worship team is going to lead us in a song, and while they're leading us in a song, our ushers and greeters are going to pass out the communion elements. There are two cups stacked together. Take both of them. The bottom cup has the bread. Then just hold on to that. At the end of that worship song, we will together take communion. But I again invite you, gaze at Christ, gaze at the cross, Gaze at the love of God. Be the one who says, I, I see the love of God manifest to us that God sent his only begotten son for us. So I invite you into that. So with that in mind, let me pray and ask God to bring us there. God, you are love. That's true. It is your nature. You've told it to us. I know it's true. But you've told us that the place that we can best understand and see the greatest place that love has ever been evidenced is to see the love that caused you to send your son to be our propitiation, to be the one that would take us who were dead and make us alive. God, I pray right now if there's any here in this room, those online in our overflow that are outside of this right now, would you cause them to see it? to see their need of Christ, their need for propitiation, their need for the wrath of God to, to, to be atoned for in your sacrifice. God, for these, I just pray for their salvation. Pray they'd surrender. Leaving them in your care, I bring those of us who are yours. And I just ask right now that you'd wash us and you'd cleanse us. Jesus, even as you wash the disciples' feet, if there's anything right now that has us outside of this, not stepping into, not able to comprehend, Lord, would you forgive? Would you wash? Would you cleanse? And then would you pour out life into us so that we see it, so that not just going through the emotions, but into this reality, we would see the love of God in the cross. And Jesus, what you did for us. So, Lord God, I'm asking for that right now. And I'm asking for it in Jesus' name.